0: With New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie Hockeyser Ilkovic. Today I'm here talking to Anne Choquette. Hi Anne, thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank
0: you for being here. So I'd love if you introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us
1: who you are and, and what you're up to. I am the author of The Big Life, and I was editor-in-chief of 17 Magazine. And before that, I was one of the launch editors of Cosmo Girl magazine, if you shout out to if you remember Cosmo Girl.
0: We always like to start our show talking about coffee, which Mm -hmm. is in our title. We are recording this in the morning. Everyone's highly caffeinated. What is your coffee drink of
1: choice? So I drink coffee regular with a little bit of milk. Um, I stopped drinking sugar. I stopped adding sugar. Um, a couple of years ago, but I drink I drink a lot of coffee. I definitely do two cups in the morning, a cup maybe mid morning, and another cup in the afternoon. <laughs> um, one of the one of the sort of amazing perks of my life is that everybody wants to have coffee, right? And sometimes people, when they say they want to have coffee, they mean they just want to meet you. But I always want to have coffee. Sometimes oh. a, a matcha latte. A, lo- a it's like a nice buzz. I was gonna say no fancy drinks ever, but sometimes. Mm, like I really am just not a fancy coffee drinker. I just like my coffee regular. It's um that's a it's a lot of coffee yeah. keeps you going. <laughs> I can handle a lot of coffee. <laughs> is there a
0: cutoff? Like at what time of day do you stop drinking coffee? I think
1: a four o'clock coffee is about as late as I can do. Okay. But then I definitely need like a six thirty glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> that is living a great life coffee yeah. to wine and those are the most important things in life coffee. it's perfect yeah coffee and wine and pizza <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I had the pizza now that's what's missing
0: from this podcast recording can you tell us what steps you've taken to get where you are now so tell us about your background and your internships and what jobs you jumped you know, to and from to get where you are today now author of this new book
1: So um, I started my career at the American Lawyer magazine, which was not my idea of a dream first job. But one of the most important pieces of advice that I give young women when they're asking me about how to get started is to get a job, any job. That you need to learn how an office works and how things come together and how meetings happen and how ideas get generated. And you will learn that just by being Around that kind of work, and it doesn't have to be at your ideal place where you're contributing with your heart and soul, right? You just need to get started. There's a lot of virtue in paying your bills, right? And not just sitting by the sidelines, and not just not getting a coffee job or taking some time off. Like, I'm a big fan of like get a job, any job, and so that was what I did. I started at the American Lawyer. What I didn't know when I got that job is that it was run by Steve Brill, who was a legendary journalist and also a legendary temper, right? He's known, he's sort of like known for um, outrageous acts in the office. There's this story which um, I had to look in the New York Times to make sure that it really like was true, but that he... um, that, it, that he and James Kramer had like a big row, and I think there was a desk that was thrown around. <laughs> and it was really a sort of epic. And any, in any case, Steve did threaten to fire me maybe my second week on the job when I wasn't fast enough to answer the phones, but somehow I managed to make it through um, being Steve's ass- assistant. And I got promoted. I went from being an assistant to being a fact checker, which is also as fascinating, as interesting as it sounds. Um, (laughs) To back up one second, how did you get that original job? Was it because you had
0: internships? Was it because you knew someone? We've we've talked some on the show about, you know, making that first impression because some people come in to move to New York and have no contacts or, you know, they know someone.
1: I lived in New York. I went to NYU and I didn't have any contacts. Um, what I did was apply everywhere, oh. right? And I had started out. I was an intern in college at Rolling Stone magazine. Which um, the one amazing takeaway from that internship was a meeting I had with an editor who's who I I, I don't know. He's gone on to greater and bigger and beyond things. Um, and he said to me that I should write a letter to the editor in chief of the magazines I wanted to work at, or the executive editor, and not go through the human resources department, which is what the career services at NYU Mm -hmm. was telling me back in the day. And um, I should write a letter to the editors-in-chief that I wanted to work for and tell them why I wanted to work for their magazine and not a fan letter, right? This is is advice I have passed down again and again. Don't write a fan letter. Everybody knows you love their magazine, blah, blah, blah. What do you have to bring to the table? Why does it matter to you? And so... I did. I put together a letter to a couple of magazines. I really, frankly, I to all the magazines. I just <laughs> how many? I was I, So I still have a stack of rejection letters that I keep, and I don't. I don't actually know why I have kept them all these years. I think that they are really a testament to the hustle that I had back then. I needed to get a job. I had rent to pay. And I wanted to get started in the world. And so I applied everywhere. The rejection letters, actually, I just read them recently, are devastating. The one, I'll just tell you this one came, and then there are actual letters, right, that someone had to sign. Right? right? <laughs> they don't even get that anymore. People just you just don't hear. Right. You, you never get the hear. job, you just didn't hear. Um, and the one letter that's that is um, that stings the most it says your prospects of getting hired here are dim oh my god and so think so imagine like that poor woman and telling me aspiring journalist that i was never going to get a job there right i read it again recently and i just thought like this is the worst letter that seems harsh it was it was really it was actually pretty harsh i was like wow that was bad um and even in that stack of letters was one from 17 actually. Oh my gosh, I had,
0: should frame that. Yeah, I had applied,
1: I didn't really, I had actually forgotten all about it, right? That um, I had I had applied for a job and had an interview and did not get that gig either.
0: So um, And what is, when you're writing the letters, and I think this is actually great advice of not writing fan mail, contacting people, showing them that you've actually read the publication, understand it, what you could add. What's in the letter that you're sending when you're, when you, you know, are kind of sending this quote-unquote application, not quite application.
1: I mean, I think, so when I'm interviewing young women for entry-level jobs, young people, what I'm looking for is their passion, their understanding, something that shows me they've read what we've done recently, Right. right? That it's not just, you know, people used to write to me all the time at 17. I loved your magazine growing up. Great. What have you read in the last two years? What have you read in the last six months? And, what, and why does it resonate with you? What what specifically of what we're doing, pick anything, right? Pick any of the campaigns that we had going and tell me why that connected with you and what it is about you um, that would really help elevate the work we do, right? And I, I get it. You're not going to come in at with, you have no experience at working, right? Mm-hmm. But you come with passion and a point of view. And that's what we want. We want to know that you can, work hard and be dedicated and handle all of the all of the administrative stuff that comes with an entry-level position without it weighing you down Mm -hmm. so that you can continue to contribute in a bigger broader way right that's the key is to like figure out how to handle all the administrative duties and then you can pick your head up and have some perspective and contribute in a larger way when I Finally, got an interview at the American Lawyer magazine. I remember this so vividly. I had gone through a bunch of um, informational interviews or like those dreadful um, human resources interviews. They were just a disaster. And I was sitting across the table from the woman who was hiring for her position, right? She had been the assistant, she got promoted, and I could see a glimmer in her eye that like what I was saying was resonating with her. And I, I remember very clearly vowing to myself that I was not going to stop talking until I knew she was going to hire me. <laughs> like, I did not want to <laughs> leave that office until I was a hundred percent sure. Until it was all glimmers in her eye. Um, and it turns out she and I are actually still friends. Like Yay! we're still in touch um, all these years later. Like she was actually a phenomenal help to me. She hired me. We were friends. Um, it was great. That's a really important, an important thing, right? If you connect with someone. I want to tell, I want to like fast forward as long as we're talking about assistant, getting assistant jobs, and I want to tell a story about my assistants at uh, 17. I want to back up, start with my last assistant. Her name was Megan O'Connor. Megan got the job working for me because a year earlier she had been at a Her Campus event, raised her hand, asked me a really important question, made friends with my current assistant who was there, and stayed in touch with her for a year until... That assistant was ready to move on, and Megan was was ready to step in. Now that assistant, the the middle assistant, had gotten her job because she had stayed in touch with the assistant before oh that, gosh. and when she was ready <laughs> to move on, and it's and it, and that is the way that those entry-level positions get filled. Because frankly, everybody's so busy, they say you fill your own job, right? If you're leaving, you're ready to move on. We get it. You're ready to move on. Fill your own position. They're gonna have a. They're gonna have a list of the mm-hmm. of the women who have stayed in touch with them and and meaningfully stayed in touch. Right? Said here are the things I'm working on, or can I help you with something? Or if some, you know, a lot of um, editorial assistants will send out a mass mailing and say, we need somebody for X, Y, and Z. Right. It's available. Be available. Right? Raise your hand. Stay in touch. And so that's how all of those positions get filled right is because you know somebody and they can help you move to the front of the line because all of those there's so few Mm entry-level
0: positions in
1: magazines and media these days that you want to be at the front of the line
0: we can't enforce I mean we can't um, talk about networking enough I feel like it's so important I'm not sure I mean it's really networking it's staying in touch with people keeping good relationships you know, I'm sure you have people like this, I have people like this that I see even just like once or twice a year to make sure we're still in each other's networks, we're talking to each other. Basically, it ends up being a lot about who you know.
1: But the, So the, the funny thing is like, when you don't know anybody, it's really hard to make those connections. And what I think is different now about networking is how collegial women are, how friendly, how helpful, but also... Don't think about networking as like a transaction, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't want to think about it. Like if I stay in touch with you, I will get a job, right? You want it. You want it to be about building relationships, Relationships. building friendships, right? That it's hard to know that the people that you're gonna that you know when you're coming up in the world are going to be in your life Mm -hmm. for forever. Mm -hmm. But it's true. I was having coffee the other day with Nancy Leblin, who is the CEO of Crisis Text Line. Before that, she was the CEO of do something and before that she was the founder of dress for success and i realized that she and i have had coffee twice a year for the last 15 years <laughs> now i don't think that when we first started like being in each other's circle that we knew that we were going right. that we were going to still be buds 15 years later but now, 15 years later, we have a history and trust, right? Like, we've worked on big projects together. We've worked on small projects together. I've sent her people. She sent me people. Like, we we have trust. And so when we sit down to have coffee, we sort of go through the list. We talk about her kids. We talk about my kids. We talk about what new projects she's working on. We talk about what new projects I'm working on. And then we end with, how can I help you? What contacts right. can I make? And I'll call you in a week. And there's follow-up, right? So now it's a really well-worn Machine, and I know she won't think that I'm telling stories out of school because this is like we we literally talked about this at coffee last week about right. how about how it's such a machine these days. But we but we we trust each other, mm-hmm. and that's what you're building when you're having these early relationships is you're building trust, mm-hmm. and that's what's going to make you stand out. And it doesn't have to be everybody, right? You don't have to have a huge network, but a couple of chicks who are in your corner in the book I call it your squad right and and it's not a squad like Taylor Swift and her best friends where everybody's wearing crop tops <laughs> and a lot of and a lot of <laughs> mascara it's a squad of women who want to help you succeed right and it, and it's not your besties these are not the girls that you're like texting during the bachelor this is not your co- your work colleagues right these are not the women that you sit next to at the office every day but these are women who you have The Venn diagram of your life has overlapped, right? And there's an important, you have an important connection. You've moved on in different places, but you still want to help each other succeed. And you're just as likely to call her when you have some tip or some job comes up that you know she would be great for, as she is to call you. So that's what's important about building your squad.
0: And I like it. I mean, I like that you use the word also friendship. I mean, it's not necessarily traditional friendship, what you think of your best friends, but maintaining these relationships like if it's not on some level of friendship it feels like work and it really it becomes very difficult
1: you're not going to answer the emails right if it's not if it doesn't if it feels one-sided you're mm-hmm. not going to answer the emails um if it feels like a drag right, right. If it feels like if it feels like a drag but if it feels fun and it feels meaningful that's what's going to keep you connected
0: yeah that's great we got this is this is so great, but we need to get back on track with your career. <laughs> so okay, so I had
1: so it turns out I had a phenomenal education and training at the American Lawyer, right? The highest level of reporting, journalistic ethics of um, really uh, really powerful journalists have been through Steve Brill's newsroom. So I moved on from there to and how long were you at that first job? I think I was at the American Lawyer for about three years. Okay. Right, I got. I, had, I was an assistant. I was a fact checker. I got promoted to a reporter at one point. Um, I learned how to be a reporter by listening, right, which is another really important tip that about Get a Job Any Job is you're there to listen and to hear what other how other people do their job, and that's actually like all these open plan offices where everybody's putting on their headphones. I actually think putting on your headphones is um, a real detriment to you mm-hmm. moving ahead. You want to listen. You want to hear not just – I mean, for me at The American Lawyer, I wanted to hear how other people were reporting their stories. And I frankly tried on some other reporting styles. There was a guy who sat next to me and he was big bluster. He would get on the phone and boss people around to get there, to sit, to get, there, um, to get them to tell him things. That didn't work for me, right? right? And so I would try, I tried everybody's. But you're also listening for some of the more subtle ways that things get done in an office, right? How do you talk to your boss? How does your boss talk to her boss? how how do meetings get run, who comes in first in a meeting, who leaves first, mm-hmm. who speaks first, who sits where, like all of that is really important um, texture that helps inform your success. Um, when you understand how a place works, you are able to succeed there. So I'm a big fan of like, I, I just don't, I'm not into the headphones.
0: It's interesting because
1: like, Open
0: floor plans are designed to make us more collaborative, but you're right. A lot of what happens is you end up plugging in and ignoring each other. And I know when I've worked in an open floor plan before, it's like you are kind of listening to everyone's conversations, and that's what makes you a better employee. And you are jumping into each other's conversations, and you are being noisy, nosy. You are being nosy, but it really it helps. Right, 100. percent
1: I'm a big fan. Yeah. yeah, I'm a huge fan. In fact, I wrote my book. Um, when I was working at Noia House, which is um, a, it's kind of like a co-working space, and um, I sort of loved it because um, well, because writing is really hard, right? <laughs> and then I love, and so I loved being able to like get up, have coffee, and like have a conversation, um, but very often. The person sitting across the table from me would say, oh, you're writing a book. I just wrote a book. And we would, like, share tips with, and tricks with each, with each other about, I mean, frankly, like, building the platform around a book is, like, a monumental effort. And I, and, um, I feel so lucky that I'm learning something brand new mm-hmm. and how to make this happen. And I feel lucky that there are other people who can be resources for me. So I think a lot of that, you know, I'm still listening and learning. That's still my MO.
0: Isn't it fun to learn something new? Like for this podcast, I never hosted a podcast before. I and mean, we've been learning and it's completely out of the wheelhouse of what I do every day. And it's
1: it's so fun to use that part of my brain, I feel like, again. So one of the things about the book that was so inspiring to me was how I felt like I was learning just as much from the women who I was talking to for my book as I was there to give them my advice, right? Like they were coming to me for advice and for perspective. And um, and I have a lot of that to offer. But they were really inspiring to me in the way they were flexible and creative and rule breaking and game changing. And I think that we are all being asked to do more in new ways. We have a lot, a lot to learn, mm-hmm. a lot to be open to.
0: And so after... The law job.
1: Yeah. After not the American a great, lawyer. Not a real law job, but a no, law yeah, journalism I, job. Yeah. I went to go write about legal issues for teens. I put legal in air quotes because I it, it like it wasn't exactly yeah. right. But it was issues. It was drinking laws and curfew and voting and activism and it was it was a new a teen newspaper that was like parade magazine that mm. went into your Sunday supplements. And so we had a massive, massive distribution, massive circulation, huge audience, and it was a new concept that they were trying to figure out how to do. And it was there that I realized how important it was to talk to young people about the things that matter in their world and how powerful, um, and how powerful youth is and young people are, and how much I loved that. Like it really connected with me this idea of being at the beginning of your career at the beginning of your life that you are a blank slate that everything is possible Um, and so that was like the big takeaway from that magazine Um, how much I how much I thought it was meaningful to program for that so from there I went to launch Cosmo Girl Mm -hmm. so that was like the late 90s Everybody in New York City was launching something, um, and actually, I had a side hustle on the side. I w- I had launched my own website, um, which now, which now sounds like everybody's like, yeah, everybody has a website, and yet it was 1997, and like nobody had a website. I would say very innovative yeah. at the time. Yeah, thank you. So from React, I went to Cosmo Girl, helped launch Cosmo Girl at Hearst, and we were we were like five young women huddled around an overheated copy machine. Um, and we were sort of tasked with figuring out how to make it on our own How did you find that job how Oh does? that's a good that's a good networking story <laughs> I um, became friendly with Laurel Toby who I think um, everybody knows was the founder of media Bistro except for I knew Laurel when media Bistro was called press Club and mm. it was held at a tiny East Village bar and it was a bunch of... Young magazine editors and freelancers getting together to have drinks once a month, and I went to a couple of her like meet and greets, and it was I don't I don't actually know if a lot of people got work out of it, but we all had a lot of fun. (laughs) And I said to Laurel one day because we became friendly, I said, you know, you should really put the press club online. And she was like, oh, that's a great idea. And I said, okay, well, I have a website, and I'm happy to help you. What was your website? My website was called Golden NYC and it was a downtown like indie website and actually we were we were like bloggers before there were blogs okay. right it was all <laughs> first person stories everybody was doing everybody was like posting their own we actually created software where you could post and publish your own stories so I created blogs you start here we are here with the inventor of blog right here but it was it was you know nobody else was doing that you couldn't publish your own content so we created that content we created that that publishing model back in the 90s and that must have been fun it must have been a fun time to be look it was a great I am a huge fan of the side hustle. It was, you know, I did not enjoy my job at the American Lawyer, but I knew I needed to be there. And I was learning a lot about journalism, but I I was hungry to do more mm-hmm. and to move up and move around faster. And so this was, I was an assistant by day, but I was editor-in-chief by night, right? I got to be editor-in-chief of my That's own great. website. And I was, and I, I, I had the opportunity to learn everything on my own, right? Like to teach myself how to manage a team? I would I paid people in pizza and chili <laughs> nights. Um, I had a I had a patented should be patented recipe for chili broke girl ingenuity, which was one can of white beans, one can of red beans, one can of black beans, and a can of tomatoes into the pot. It was delicious. <laughs> Look, Maybe. When you have no money and you're I not know. making any money, but you need people to do things for you, people were actually really willing to come out for like pizza and chili nights. So. I am in food. It's yeah, great. It's a good tip. Yeah, it was good. So I had this side hustle, and this was my, this was sort of my like a little bit of my calling card, the thing mm-hmm. that made me stand out. And frankly, it was the thing that when I went into traditional media companies who were just trying to figure out digital, I was like, oh, well, I know, I get it, I understand, I've, I'm doing this, and, and that helped me move ahead and move up yep. in a lot of ways. So anyway, back to Laurel Toby. So um, I put laurels. Um, press club online and helped her get started there. And then we were friendly, and we would see each other at coffee and at the gym. We we actually lived across the street from each other. And one day at the gym, she said, Hey, you work at a teen magazine. I was at React. And and she said, I hear Hearst is launching a new teen magazine. I'm going to connect you. And so that's how I got my foot in the door at Cosmo Girl to be there. So it really was... Um, it's again, another power of a relationship. Laurel and I, I wasn't like, I'm going to help Laurel with my right. website so that someday she can help me get a job. It was, I, I was happy to help her because it was the thing that needed to be done uh-huh. for her business. And when the time came, she was happy to help me. You're just nice to each other Beautiful. and kept in touch. And so it's like, sounds yeah. so simple, but right. really that's what it was. Right. And not, you know, and It was great. We were good, friendly buddies, right? The gym, the coffee shop, like you have to be out in the world. It's sometimes hard to do that, but that's, it's important, right? It's important. And and, um, so that's how I got my foot in the door at Cosmo Girl. And I, we were doing something that I thought was so meaningful at Cosmo Girl, But we were working like animals. We worked around the clock. We would work. Copy would hit my desk at nine thirty at night and need to be edited and turned around. I slept under the under the conference room table (laughs) on numerous occasions. And somebody woke me up at three o'clock in the morning and said, "Like, hey, we need you to edit this story." Like. That is not sustainable. Right, right. (laughs) But it's the fun launch, the new ideas, right? We were all in it together. We were a sisterhood, right? We felt like a sisterhood. And frankly, like the women who started Cosmo Girl on the original team, many of them were on my team at 17. Um, They're still in my life. We're still buddies. We're still connected. Like when you go through something that powerful together, that life altering together, you are bonded together. Um I uh, helped launch the website there at Cosmo Girl. We, it was the first magazine to launch at the same time as the website, which is also another, like, ever so obvious. I think we were the first. The <laughs> wow. First, yeah, the first magazine ever to launch with a website at the same time. Wow. So um, it was powerful. It was great. And it was we were doing something that I thought was really meaningful. We wanted to change the way teen girls talked about their lives and saw their lives. So... Um, I stayed there. I stayed there for a lot of years because I I felt connected to Mm -hmm. the mission, right? Which is something that I think is something we can't say enough, that you need to find work that feels meaningful to you, right? And it needs to feel like your life. Right, we talk so much about work life balance, but like the idea is not that you're like going into some office and like grinding it out for eight hours and then you come out on the other side and there your life begins. Mm-hmm. Right? You want what you do for a living to feel like actual living and to feel like like it's meaningful and like it's feeding your soul, and so that was why I stayed for so long.
0: So if you we talked about, you know, taking a job to get work experience. If that's not the job that is fulfilling for you and you do feel like it's the grind. You know, do you think it's best to just use that time to find what you want to do, or to develop something on the side? Like, what is kind of you know, where do people find the
1: most fulfilling um, kind of equation? So, so a lot of people ask me like, how do I find a career that is also my passion? And the truth is that I think that that idea of passion and purpose sets the bar way too high, right? That you that you're going to find yourself um, paralyzed if you if you can't find, I, don't, I haven't found my passion, I haven't found my passion, I haven't found my passion." It will emerge, right? I, I knew that I wanted to be a journalist. I knew that being a reporter and a writer was important to me. I didn't know that I would find it meaningful to talk to young women about the things that matter most in their life. That, that spark happened and I just kept following it. Um, I didn't have a grand plan to become editor-in-chief of a magazine. Uh, that opportunity sort of presented itself as I got closer and closer to it. I I was able to get closer and closer to that idea that that was what I wanted to do. Um, But I think that this idea that you have one passion and you have to follow it, like that doesn't make sense to me, right? Like your career is long. Your life is long. Like you are dynamic, interesting, interested person. Um, And there's a lot of ways to find meaning and to find What's important to you?
0: I think it's really interesting because I think most people, and especially women who want to work in magazines, they come into it like with that goal of, I want to be an editor in chief of a magazine. But really, when we talk to a lot of people, the path to success seems to be having an open mind of just like, I want to be in this world, but let's see how it goes. I think a lot of times when you feel very tied to that end goal, you end up just not taking interesting opportunities. And you, you can miss out on a lot.
1: Yeah. I never, um, I never had a plan. I wanted to, I wanted to see what was new. I wanted to move into new territory, try new things. And that has been the hallmark of my career, right? It was like to do digital in the nineties. And then when I was at 17, we launched YouTube channel, right? The video became so important to us. We, I just wanted to try new things and for everything, you know, that's what keeps you going in mm-hmm. the world, right? Is to be interested and to be and to continue to grow. And so how did you end up at 17? I was at Cosmo Girl for about eight years, and I was actually up to be editor-in-chief twice before I landed the gig at 17. Um, and I don't tell this story very often, but I think it's really important because people think, and then I became editor-in-chief of a major legendary brand. just happens. It just happens. <laughs> you don't just snap your fingers and that happens one just day. Just woke right? up. And if I hadn't been up to bat twice before, I would not have been ready for that job. Um, The first time, I pitched a magazine that um, was was my idea, and I spent a long time researching it and putting together a proposal, um, and my proposal made its way up to Kathy Black's desk, and Kathy, who is always a champion of young women, agreed to hear me out. And I walked in with my note cards, and I was so nervous, right? And she said to me, "Just relax. Just tell me the story." And so that idea percolated for a while, actually. A brand new magazine. Brand new magazine. To, to launch, yeah. Um, and it, the idea went through, and it just turns out it wasn't in the business plan, but we t- but we workshopped it for probably a good six months, right, to see if it could be if it could turn into something. I had a lot of meetings about that. Oh, and the one but the one other piece about that story, though, that I think is really important is that I went to my boss who took it to her boss, right? I was, I think I was executive editor at Cosmo Girl at the time. So Susan Schultz, who was the editor-in-chief, took it to Kathy. And and you never want your boss to be surprised, right? Like, And also, I want to say to Susan's credit, she was phenomenally supportive of me. And so um, I really owe her that debt because that was the first time that even though this idea didn't, didn't, materialize it was the first time that I sort of popped out from a sea of editors of Mm -hmm. saying like hey I could be editor-in-chief of a magazine one day think of me think of me Um, and so they did actually a couple years later about a year and a half later I got a call to pitch to be editor-in-chief of another magazine and that pitch went a lot smoother (laughs) right like super important that pitch went much better I had a lot more confidence it wasn't such a heavy lift I wasn't nervous I was not shaking with note cards uh, that job didn't go my way either, but that's that's the game, right? Like there was another editor who was ahead of me in line, and the job went to her. However, the next time I was up to bat, I had real confidence that I knew how to make that pitch, right? That I knew how to like walk into that room and own it, and I had I I knew that I knew what to do, mm-hmm. right? Not only did I know what to do, but I also knew that I would be good at that job eventually, right? Not like off the bat, not like coming in guns blazing—that's right. not my mo. And so I think that it's important to hear to talk about the journey, right? That you don't just magically snap your fingers, and we don't talk about like I don't think I told anybody what, about those two those two other steps for a long time, but it's something that I feel like is really important to talk about.
0: Well, it's just re- reality. Like it's very realistic that you go for jobs, not everything happens. You know, not every time it happens, it works out, and it doesn't discourage you or stop your career. It's really important also to hear from women who have achieved great things to be like, well, it wasn't always easy. Because I think a lot of people, like you said, are like, think, oh, well, I just worked my way up at the end. Like, I just got all the jobs that I was supposed to get. I got promoted every time, which especially in media it's just that never happens like you go up for a ton of things
1: and I think everybody wants so many more twists and turns in their career that there is not a straight path mm-hmm. anymore you don't nobody wants to just sit still and wait to get promoted you have to make the opportunities happen for yourself and I think that, that and you and sometimes you take a wrong turn a weird turn a turn that like sometimes you have to just say to yourself this is what I want to do and the rest of the world is like yeah not yet right. <laughs> <laughs> you're not ready yet and so, that, and so you learn right it's all about learning it's all about learning and moving forward.
0: I'd love to hear all about your book, what it's about, how it came to be, you know, how you started it and how it became a reality.
1: When I left 17, I knew that I had something really important to say that helped the young women that had grown up with me, that whole generation of young women at Cosmo Girl and at 17 who had grown up with me and move into the next phase of their life, right? It's not like, you know, we talk about such deep, important emotional issues. In teen magazines, and it's not like when you turn twenty, all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, I don't need to talk about my emotions anymore. Life is so easy." It's harder to become the woman that you are meant to be, is phenomenally hard. The person that you know inside that you can be, and so I wanted to move into the next phase of these these young women's lives, and so I started to put together my ideas, and I knew what I wanted to say, and I said, "Well, wait a minute. There's some stuff I didn't get to talk about a lot at seventeen, sex." relationships I was like let me just have a bunch of chicks over for dinner and um, we'll talk we'll have some wine and we'll talk about sex and relationships so I did I invited a young woman and a friend and I said bring a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend and we sat down around my around my dining room table and we had um, fancy frozen pizza mm-hmm. and we opened a bunch of bottles of rose and yes we talked about sex and relationships but by the end of the night, we had talked about everything, career, ambition, work, the things that were keeping them up at three o'clock in the morning, the phenomenal pressure that they felt at the end of the day, this, what they call the pressure to be perfect, right? That they were falling apart at the seams because they were working so hard to keep it together during the day. And they felt like this dream they had for themselves kept slipping further and further away. And at the end of that dinner, I was so moved by the conversation that I knew I had to do it again. And so I did. I had another dinner and another dinner and another. And over the course of what was almost two years, um, I probably had two dozen dinners, more even. And the dinner started to fall into an amazing pattern, right? Every single conversation around my dining room table was different and richer and more meaningful. And I was, and I, I just, I knew that there was something that had to be said, and I couldn't understand why nobody else was saying it. And here we were, real depth of emotion. And so what I always started every dinner with was, if I could solve any problem for you, what would that be? And not that I could solve it, but if I could solve it, what's the problem? What's the problem you need solved? Right. And so after, you know, after a couple hundred women around my dining room table, you would think there would be like hundreds of answers of problems they needed solved, which is not the case. Um, it really did, it boiled down to like five, four, or five answers. How do I find a career that is also my passion? How do I get my boss to stop thinking of me as a lazy, entitled millennial? Oh God. Um, <laughs> right. How do I um, how do I get paid what I'm worth? How do I find a partner whose eyes light up when I talk about my ambition? And will all this struggle be worth it? And so, that, so those questions are the questions that frame the book. Um, those are the questions that I wanted to figure out how to answer. But what was important to me, yes, I am there as someone who grew up with them, who has the perspective, who understands a little bit more about how the world works, but what the mission of the book is to create a sisterhood of young women who are helping each other through the trickiest bits of growing into who you're meant to be Mm -hmm. and so it was important for me for the women who are around my table um, and in my community to share their advice right, and to share their, their anxieties to help light the way for other women so that's what comes down to the big life. Everybody wants this delicious cocktail of career and ambition and work and success and, like, a big monumental relationship on their own terms, right? Not the path to success has been blown up. It's mm-hmm. not, like, you can't look at um, you can't look at your boss. You can't look at your mom's mm-hmm. life. Um, it really, you know, young women would say to me all the time that they felt like they didn't have role models. Yes. You know, their friends are in the same kind of slow-moving boat. So that that is the purpose of the big life.
0: Do we call it work-life balance anymore? Like, I think through the conversations we're having on this show, I mean, in just the communications community in general, like, it's just life. And our work is integrated into it, and our relationships are, everything's kind of integrated, where before it was like, how do I balance my job? You know, it's not balance. You know,
1: I, um, it is all work all the time, and all life all the time. Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that at some point you're not gonna have to figure out like who's gonna do who's gonna do after school pickup, right. right? And and what happens when both partners have a big important meeting and how are you gonna navigate all of that complicated bits of having kids. But like work life balance is not just it's not like only your life if you have a partner and kids. Right, right. You have to figure out how to be a human being. And that's where I think like really Finding something that feels meaningful comes into play because then you don't feel resentful of your job taking away from your life because it feels like your life and you don't feel pulled when you're spending time when you're doing SoulCycle training for, a, you know, training for a half marathon when you're focused on your um, your book club or your side hustle or whatever it is that you're focused on that makes you a human being makes right. you a living, breathing, <laughs> feeling human being. If you feel like your work is important, then it doesn't feel like such a tug. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, all, it's like, what's your
0: identity? You know, you. I think a lot of people, um, at least in the past, and maybe still like, get identified with their job. It's like, oh, you're Ancho okay You're the editor-in-chief of Seventeen Magazine. But there's so much more to your life, and I think a lot of people – or choosing that they don't want to be identified by their job, they want to be identified by who they are, what's important to them, what their values
1: are, and that's I think a big change we'll see. It's an amazing change. Yeah. It's like a it's a it's a huge it's a huge new way of thinking about your career. So we're talking about the big life here, and does it include money? <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you have yes, money? <laughs> yes, I love this conversation about money because I've been so impressed with young women and how sort of transparent they are right about their salaries and also fearless to a large degree of asking for new opportunities a little bit I think from their boss's perspective it seems like restless mm-hmm. or maybe even anxious right, yeah, to, like, to get the next step to get the next amount of money to get the raise and so I feel and so I come at this from two ways right because I am young women's biggest champion. I am their biggest cheerleader, but I've also been their boss, right? Mm -hmm. And the boss who's like, I get it that you're walking in here with nine months of experience and that is everything to you, right? And you feel like you've conquered the task in front of you and you're ready to move on to the next task. But your job that you are filling is in my strategic plan, the way it is written. And I need you to sit still, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. and do that job. And um, you know, that's hard to hear and hard to understand, right? You think like, I am ready to move on. And your boss is like, I am not ready to right. promote you and not because of you, but because I don't have a spot for you and it's not in the budget and there's no, and like I had the paperwork for a title change and like all of that stuff. Right. And so you should see, I actually think the first step is seeing your ask from your boss's point of view, right? Like, what is your boss gonna say when you walk in the door and like workshop it a little bit, right? Think about try to be empathetic and think about the world from her point of view. Now, which is not to say you should like if it's never gonna happen, I also think you should move on. Right. right. Get out of there. If you yes. because that because that's a lot of the ways that a lot of a lot of companies, their hands are tied, right? To move you up, to move you around. Like, the budgets are smaller, the staffs are leaner. Like, they just don't have the flexibility of where to put you. And if you need to go, you need to go. Some people think it's disloyal. I think it's just smart mm-hmm. negotiating. Which is not, you should say, it, like, you should find a place where you want to stay for a while. But if it's not, if it's never going to happen, right. it's never going to happen. What I think you need to do if you want to move up or get a raise, right? Move up, move around, get a raise, ask for something special, um, is to come with your facts. What have you done... That has added to the bottom line, that has been important, that helps you move into the next phase of your career. And like write it down. Write a memo to yourself. I frankly think that memos are a really good way of keeping track of what you want. It takes all the emotion out of it. You can your your, your boss can review it like not in the heat of whatever moment where the stress of the day is happening, but review it when she just has thoughtful time for that. And then sometimes it's not, there are other things that are important to you. That are not just money or title mm-hmm. right like maybe you see yourself being a manager and you want to be in a position to manage people or maybe what you really want is a little more freedom not exactly vacation time but like you'd like freedom on a couple of days a week to work on x y and z right products. flexible work schedule or yes. something like that and or maybe what you need is a chance to meet other people in the company right? Like, is there something you're in one, you're an editorial and you want to work with marketing on an initiative, right? And you want that kind of visibility Mm -hmm. or, you know, that there is an innovation group and you'd like to be put up for that. I think that all of those help move your career along in important ways, Mm -hmm. ask for them and volunteer for them. and And sometimes those can be more meaningful than money. I
0: think that's such good advice because You know, and I'd like to talk a little bit about, you're talking to so many millennial women, and there is this reputation that, like, young women and men, they just go in and ask for raises, like, way too early, and they're just asking for money, and bosses think they're ungrateful, and, like, why do you think that is happening on both sides? Why why is that the perception?
1: There's this huge gulf of misunderstanding between millennials and their Gen X or Boomer bosses, right? That particularly for Gen Xers and Boomers, you know, they built a system, and here's how it mm-hmm. works, and here's how you move up. And and, um, you know, I remember when everybody was moving around jobs, like job hopping in the '90s, and it was looked down upon, right. right? Like you weren't. But like now, nobody wants to sit still, which I think is 100% okay. Um, it's disruptive, right, for managers, and they should probably work on how can they incentivize the staff a little bit more. But everybody wants to move up and move around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that I think it's important for, for you to be able to see the world from your boss's eyes, right? She's got a big challenge ahead of her. She's trying to move this ship, and how can you help her? But also at the same time, and, I, and this is like my call to all of the Gen X and Boomer bosses, you have to understand that the rules have changed, right? right? And and this generation of young women are changing them. And the, and the most important thing that I hear again and again is freedom, right? That people want freedom from the office, freedom from FaceTime meetings, freedom to work their own schedule and set their own goals. And how can we... As managers, facilitate that mm-hmm. and still hit our goals, right? And still hit budget, but to really be aware that what drives this generation is different than what drove us.
0: Yeah, I mean, could there be a bigger challenge that the bosses have one goal and the employees have a different goal? Like that is where we're going to have to really meet in the middle. I love the concept of asking for other things too, because I think in some of those mid raise conversations like when there is no money, like what can you be asking for to grow so that when you're having conversation about money, you actually have grown your job and you're not just like give me yes. more money.
1: Right. Yes, a hundred percent. And that seems and that's the reality of our business these days, mm-hmm. right? Is that um the money's not always there. And uh and you need to find out what's valuable to you, what's important to you.
0: We have reached our lightning round, so I'm gonna jump right into it. What is the Best job you've ever had?
1: Being the author of The Big Life. That's great. Holy cow, it's powerful. That's great, and worst job you've ever had? I had a blip of a gig that was a nightmare where I had to work at a um, a newsletter about corporate boards.
0: <laughs> what does that even mean?
1: <laughs> it was not for me. Oh man, that's upset. What's
0: the best career advice
1: you've ever received? The best advice I ever received was in an interview with Barbara Walters and she was actually giving advice to our young readers and she said don't imagine that your life now is the way it's always going to be. You have no idea how interesting it can become and you have no idea of the adventures in store for you. And I, that is my mantra, that you have no idea what's right around the corner or what opportunities are there or how much fun an adventure you're going to have and you have to go looking for those adventures. That's amazing advice.
0: It's amazing. And what's your most memorable office moment that you've ever had? This could be positive or negative, just a time in the office that you'll never forget.
1: I will never forget when Taylor Swift came to my office for the first time. She, was, she didn't even have a record out. She was a brand new newbie. She was wearing a lot of black eyeliner, and her hair was in really tight ringlets, and we sat there and talked about going shopping. She was, like, brand new to New York, and, like, what an amazing, um, what a cool thing she has done, and, like, what an amazing journey she's had, but it's also really inspiring to know that, like, everybody starts somewhere. Mm -hmm. You're going to be, you're a newbie with too much black eyeliner in your hair and too tight curls, and then the next thing you know, you're, like a total badass ruling like biggest pop star in the world so everybody starts somewhere could you tell when you met her like she's going to be someone no <laughs> she was just like a regular girl from from outside of pennsylvania outside of philadelphia um with like you know who want to talk about shopping amazing yeah Complete. and that's her power she's a regular girl mm-hmm. and that's what makes her powerful
0: she's so relatable people love her yes.
1: And thank you so much
0: for being here today. I had a great time. I loved it. Thank you. Your advice is amazing, and I know that our audience will learn a lot from this episode. Tell us
1: one more time about the book, what it's called, where and when we can get it. The Big Life. Embrace your mess. Work your side hustle. Find a monumental relationship and become the badass babe you were meant to be. Um, it's out March 14th although available for pre-order, before that, everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. We're going to be planning a series of events around the country, and I would love to see everybody there. That's great.
0: Is there a website? AnnShowCat.com.
1: A-N-N-S-H-O-K-E-T. AnnShowCat.com. And where can our listeners follow you on social media? At Ann Choquet everywhere, but please, you know, I do a newsletter. I call it the Badass Babes Newsletter because those are you want to be a badass babe. Trust mm-hmm. me, um, and sign up on annchouquette.com. Ann a n n s h o k e A N
0: N S H O K E T dot com. And thanks for your time. This was so fun. I loved it. It
1: was fantastic. I I want everybody to get the big life.
0: I'm Not excited. <laughs> the big life. I want you all to have a big life. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producers, Kylie Harris, Chelsea Orcutt, and Chrisanne Grize; Our editors, Erin Mathewson and Chelsea Orcutt. Rachel Bowie manages marketing. Alex Fetter wrote the theme. Additional recording and editing has been done at Stoosh Studios with the help of Steve Francis. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to nywici.org slash podcast. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser-Ilkovich. Thank you for listening.